Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high atop the Highway 7 Ridge Line from TSPN. That's the Survival Podcast Network headquarters. Today is Wednesday, March the 28th, 2012, and uh, this is episode 868 of the Survival Podcast. Cool one. I've got a guy that I've actually had the pleasure of meeting in person, hanging on the line. We'll bring him on in just a moment. He's going to talk to us about bug-out vehicles and purchasing military vehicles for conversion to bug-out vehicles and just his experience with doing that. His name is Wade, and we'll have him on in just a moment. Before we do, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, the Berkey Guy. Now, what are you going to get from the Berkey Guy? It might shock you to learn that from the Berkey Guy, you would get Berkey water filtration systems because, well, he's the Berkey Guy. But why, with all the places you can go get a Berkey, would you go to Jeff Gleason, the Berkey Guy, to get your Berkey? Why not just go down to the new survival emporium on the corner and get your Berkey or go to a gun show and get it from some random person? Well, he's the Berkey Guy. I mean, who else would you go to? And, and on a serious note, I'm being a little funny there, but on a serious note, he's been a sponsor of the show. He's going into his third year. Total number of complaints about Jeff, the Berkey guy from the audience, and the audience is now over 35,000 people. Zero. Goose egg. None. Nil. Nada. Total number of reports that he's a great guy to do business with. More than I can count. I'll leave it at that. You want a guy that's going to take care of you, give you the best price available, make sure if something goes wrong, it gets fixed, you want the Berkey guy. I'm not saying anybody else isn't going to do the same thing, but I know Jeff will do it for you, and I know he's a great supporter of the show. And I'll tell you for a fact, Berkey is what I use for my own water filtration. I think it's the best bang for the buck. Check Jeff Gleason, the Berkey guy, out at Directive21.com. Next up today, Fortress Defense Consultants. Hey, look, you know me on the Second Amendment. Die hard supporter of the Second Amendment. Believe that if you can carry a gun where you live, you should fill out whatever paperwork you need to do so so that you can do so and exercise that right. I don't think that paperwork should be there, but if it is and that's what you got to do, I think you should do it. I think you should make sure you have a gun in your home. I think you should be able to defend your home, your property, yourself, and your family. And I think you should also know how to use that weapon to put food on the table if need be. But I also can tell you this. People that grew up the way I did, where from the time you were old enough to, to possibly be trusted with a gun, were given the privilege of cleaning the gun. That was like my, my, when I was a kid, I was too young to even start really shooting much yet. It was a big deal for me that when my uncle or my father would come home, that they would hand me the shotgun or the rifle, making sure it was unloaded, of course, teaching me how to do that and say, hey, here, wipe it down with the gun rag and put it in the cabinet. People that grew up like that, that have been in the firearms circle for that long, are few and far between anymore. Our society has changed. And that means that a lot of people out there just don't even know basic gun safety, let alone full tilt bore self-defense with a weapon. If you're going to carry a weapon, whether you're putting squirrels on the, in the stew pot or defending your life, you need to be trained with it. When it comes to being trained with how to defend yourself and others, I can't think of a better place than Fortress Defense Consultants and Frank Sharp Jr. People ask me a lot, you know, Jack, what gun should I buy next? And what I want to know is when's the last time you took a firearms training course? If it's more than a year or two, I'm going to tell you invest your money in yourself by training 
uh, rather than buying another gun. Most folks out there asking that question already have enough guns. If you're first one, second one, I understand. But you really need training too then, right? But if you have that collection and you're just buying one more, think about taking some training before you buy another gun. Next up today, remember, you can connect with me on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Those are the main social media outlets that I use. I got a lot of cool stuff out there. I do put out information on specifically Facebook and often Twitter that doesn't make it on the show. I really know I need to do more of, the, more of that, and I will try to do so. Uh, but for now, I put out what I put out there, guys. And uh, I want to give you a little announcement today. Typically, if you email me, you'll get a response if it's like a customer service email or a short email I can answer uh, or somebody asking for a service discount or something like that. Um, you'll get an answer like within a couple hours, unless you email me at like midnight or something like that. And the reason is that I use something called Wild Blue Satellite Internet Service at Home. I don't run my business there, but I do answer emails with it. That's you know one of the things it's designed to do. So when I leave the office and I go home, a couple times you know in the afternoon and evening, I check my email and I try to respond to things because just like many of you might telecommute you know from home for for after hours work stuff. When I come in the morning, I don't have like a hundred billion emails. I have just a billion emails to answer. So that's gotten the audience used to very quick responses from me. Well, Wild Blue Internet Service is down. I put out a post about it this morning. And uh, I called them up and said, hey, it doesn't work. And they said, did you just power cycle your modem and router? And I said, yes. I used to do uh, computer networking for a living. I know how to do that. So I was walked through uh, like a retarded monkey as though I didn't know how to unplug things and plug them back in. And then forced to wait for two minutes with this simpleton on the line because it might come back, even though I had already done it three times, which was fine. I was willing to comply with that. And then I was you know, told, hey, guess what, Jack? Uh, it doesn't work. We need to send a tech to you. Well, duh, right? That's that's my point. That's why I've called you. I know enough about this equipment to know someone needs to come out on site and probably rehome the dish. And if I try to do it and I screw something up, it's your equipment. You're going to blame me for the problem. So I'm not going to get up on the roof and do it. So uh, I was told it'll take 13 days, 13 days until they can get somebody on site. Um Not acceptable. I asked the lady on the phone if she would be okay if she didn't have phone service or cell phone service or electricity or television cable or dish network or anything like that for 13 days before her provider even made an attempt to fix the problem. And she said no, but she didn't really care because she didn't say she didn't care. But obviously she didn't really care because she, quote, said, there's nothing else I can do. I asked to talk to a supervisor. I got the same story. Another supervisor called me back because I was not happy. And uh, told me the same thing. You're screwed. Okay, fine, I'm screwed. Well, I'm telling 35,000 people right now that if you have any choice other than Wild Blue, you really might want to make that. I'm not calling for a boycott. I'm not telling you to cancel your service. I'm not going to cancel my service. I'm going to endure this 13 days because where I live, they're the best thing I can get. But I figure that the reason they did this is because they have something called a trip charge and overtime pay that they would have to pay a tech that was not going to already be in the area for new installations. And that's why they have that date down, because that's the next time they have an area tech in my area for new installations. So they want to save a couple hundred bucks. I'm thinking maybe it'll cost them more than a couple hundred bucks if just one or two of you could have went with Wild Blue and go somewhere else. Oh, by the way, if you're thinking HughesNet is another option, HughesNet is a private label extension of Wild Blue. Wild Blue provides their back end and their service. Uh, and therefore, you'll get the same crappy service you can expect. I also want to point out real quick here, this is not a witch hunt. It's just factually what happened, so you'll know. And I also want you to know that I do pay for the absolute highest level of service you can get from Wild Blue. I couldn't give them more money every month if I tried, so my experience is the best you can expect when something goes wrong. The big upshot, 
It's going to take you longer to get emails back if they're sent to me after, let's say, 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon. You'll probably get an answer the next day. Short responses will come because I use my iPhone for that. Anything long, though, I don't really can't sit there and type out two paragraphs on an iPhone. Just wanted you to know that. Uh, last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you'll get exclusive content available only to members. And uh, if you're military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty, or prior service, please send me an email with service discount or military discount or something like that in the subject line, and I will send you back a discount code to thank you for your service. It will give you a discount on your membership. Uh, with that, I do have the housekeeping wrapped up. And I want to introduce our special guest, uh, a gentleman named Wade Bolin. And Wade came by my house not too long ago. He was hauling a bunch of tires. Uh, and uh, he's here today to talk to us about bug-out vehicles and different ideas on them, like using new vehicles, old vehicles, and most importantly, military vehicles and trailers. Um, he personally has what's, what's called an M820, which is a five-ton cargo truck. His bug out location is about 1200 miles west of where he lives. So he's got a long haul that has to happen. So he's put in a lot of thought about what to do with, uh, with that length of a bug out, which is, you know, that's a long haul, folks. 1200 miles. You're talking two days of driving at least. And he got kind of, kind of had to kind of determine, you know, whether to go with fast and agile or slow and tough. His personal choices are two vehicles uh, that he uses in tandem. One is a 2010 Ford F-150 Raptor, which if I can find the video of him on YouTube, you'll think he's an insane maniac when you see him driving through the desert with it. And then the uh, the slow, rugged, and tough one is a 1971 AM General XM820 military vehicle. He's here to talk to us about all that and more. Hey, Wade, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hi, Jack. How's it going? Pretty good. Hey, last time I saw you, you were hauling a whole bunch of tires for an 820. Uh, you stopped by my place. It was cool to meet you. I didn't get to see you for very long, but uh, you, you're out there getting a bunch of tires. I think you drove to, where'd you drive to to get those? It was uh, Red River. Oh, that's right, down in Texas. And, yeah. and you're up in the armpit of America, as you yeah. call it. Southern Illinois, right between the Ohio and Mississippi River. <laughs> So because of where you're at and your concerns that at some point you might have to get out of there, you've got kind of a unique situation and a unique look at bug-out vehicles. That's why we have you on today. You want to kind of give people kind of a little bit of background on, you know, what you have and uh, and where you'd have to go if you had to leave? Sure, sure. Uh, just a little history on it. Um, I'm located in the crossroads of two major interstates, which is, you know, kind of a bad place if if things get really hairy. And um was kind of thinking about, well, if I have to leave, what do I have to do to get out of here? Which has kind of led me down a path of uh, getting to this giant military vehicle. But um, basically, it's how far do you have to go to your to where you want to go? And in my case, it's really far. I've got to go about 1,200 miles. And so you either need a car that gets really good gas mileage or something that can carry enough gas to get there. <laughs> and uh, that, that's how I, I came to rest on this uh, giant military truck for a bug-out vehicle. And, and what, what, what kind of vehicle did you end up with? It's, a, it's an M820, which is uh, it's a five-ton. If anybody's familiar with the deuce-and-a-half truck, which is very popular, um, this is a little bit bigger than a deuce-and-a-half. It's a long, longer wheelbase. And it has a giant box on the back of it that's uh, hopefully someday will be a camper and uh, maybe do some camping in in the thing as use it as an RV as well as a bug out vehicle. So uh, maybe get a little fun out of it in the meantime. 
Now, your 800, I, I know I asked you this when you were by my place, but no one here would have heard it anyway, and I don't remember. There's two There's two uh, five-ton generations. One is the newer one that's like an airshift automatic transmission. The other one's more like the old Deuces, and it's a manual transmission. Which which one is yours? Mine's the one with the manual transmission. That's the cool. 800 series trucks. Um the 900 series trucks is one you're remembering with the automatic transmission. So Correct. Pretty much the same truck, just they've got a little, little few updates in them, and uh, the automatic being the biggest one, I think. Yeah, I think it has a lot more headaches. I hate to put it that way, but um, it, it's a big transmission, and a lot of things can go wrong with it. And it's also an air shift transmission. Mm-hmm. Um, so not only do you have air an air system failure cause a brake failure, it also causes a transmission failure. Um, so you, what you've got is probably older but more reliable and easier to work on, too. Yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of a toss-up. Um, people I talked to about it before is, do you have a manual where you can – change the clutch, change the throwout bearing, stuff like that? Or do you go with an automatic that has no wear out parts? You know, it shouldn't wear out. As long as it doesn't break, it's great. <laughs> so but it's on six that one, note, half a dozen the other, you know? But let me say on that note, I put an awful lot of clutches in vehicles when I was in the military, and I swapped out a lot of automatic transmissions, too. I wouldn't say I did as many transmission replacement jobs as clutch jobs, obviously, because the clutch is designed to wear out, but right. they do go bad, and they're very expensive to replace, especially in something like that. Yeah, yep. So, you know, kind of you were talking about this already, but to you, what makes a good bug-out vehicle? Well, number one is it's got to get you from point A to point B. I mean, that's the whole point of it, right? You've got to get from your place you are to the place that you're going to feel like you need to go where you're going to be feel like you're safe. And... um you know, you've got to really look at how you're going to get there, um, how far it is, what you expect to encounter along the way. I mean, you know, for me, I've got a, I've got a long drive. It's probably going to take more than a couple of days, and um, you know, you're you're likely to have to have some supplies with you. Now, if you're bugging out, and let's say you're going, you know, an hour drive from your house, uh, obviously you don't need that much. Good old pickup truck would probably be the best thing you could buy. Um, throw the throw everybody in the cab, throw everybody in the back, and and actually that's that was my first go at it. Is I bought a an extended cab pickup truck, four wheel drive. You know you can throw gear in the bed and throw people in the front, and you're off. Uh, just after I sat there and thought about it, I was like, well, how am I going to fill this thing up with gas, or you know, is there going to be gas along the way, or what's going to happen with that? So it's really you know, it's not a one-size-fit-all fit type situation. In your particular situation, you ended up eventually gravitating toward this big old five-ton. And we're going to have to get a picture of one of these I'll post online because the one he's got, folks, is cool. The The box actually extends out kind of like an RV pops out. But how did you end up kind of deciding that was the way to go instead of, I don't know, getting a trailer and putting a fuel bladder on it or something? What made you decide to go big and tough and slow? Because they're not fast. No, they are not fast. Definitely not as fast as your Raptor. No. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, it's just kind of one of those things where you just, you're, well, how I end up with this thing is there was an auction for it. It was for sale from the government as a a liquidated item. And uh, sitting there looking at the auction, I'm like, well, I'll bid this on it. What the heck? Somebody will outbid me. 
and then the auction ends and I own the thing. <laughs> that's well, how. If it, I don't ask, that's how it really starts. People are going to go nuts in the comments section if I don't ask. So what did it? What did it? What did it end up costing you? Um, it was about three grand. Okay, and that's um, a good deal to me. Yeah, really. By the weight of it, which it weighs, I think right around a little over thirty-five thousand pounds. So it's really heavy. So at that price, you can scrap it for the scrap metal, and you're you can at least get your money back out of it. So I, I don't didn't feel too bad, too at risk with it. And uh, you know, I'm a gearhead. So working on a giant military truck is just, you know, something that sounds like fun to me. And actually, it's it has been a lot of fun. I've met a lot of great people doing it. Um, we're, we're actually going to, you know, this kind of falls into the into the thing where it's going to be something that's fun to have and have right now. And then if I ever need it for an extreme situation, I'll have it. But we're actually going to go to uh, some military truck shows with it. And uh, met a whole lot of good people through that, uh, those, those that group of people. Very cool. And uh, I mean, you do have some plans to kind of turn this thing into more like a, an RV on the inside of the box. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, from the military. It has a giant, like five hundred pound three phase air conditioner in it. It has two diesel fired uh, heaters in it. It's wired for one hundred and ten and twenty four volt. Uh, electrical service in there and uh, you know it's just it's just this big empty square box and you're looking at it and you're like well I could put a sink over here I could put a little bed over there um, you know maybe do a, a composting toilet I don't know shower there's a lot of room in there and the good thing about it is it doesn't matter how much it weighs that thing will carry it so uh yeah, if you can fit it in there, it, it, that's that's an interesting way to look at it. Like you can't over capacity the vehicle because if you can fit it in there, it can handle it. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And uh, there's you know there's also uh, if anybody's thinking about it, there's a smaller version of the uh, M820. It's a M109, which is based off the deuce and a half, the two and a half ton truck, and a little bit smaller, a little bit easier to drive. And just a little bit smaller box on the back doesn't expand out the side, but Correct. that's that's a another option there. When I was in Honduras, that was that was our tool van. Yeah, one hundred and nine. We kept all our tools and extra parts and everything in there, and we basically ran an entire motor pool for third shop maintenance out of two of those. So it's amazing what you really can do with them. Oh sure, sure. So um, but when you went and got this thing, when you stopped by, we were talking about this. It wasn't quite. Like they said it was running and all, and you went there to pick it up, and you were just gonna like your girlfriend was gonna follow you home, and you were gonna drive it, and it didn't quite work out that way at first, did it? Yeah, it didn't. It was uh, we 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 got it down in uh in Georgia, at uh, Warner Robins, and had some problems getting it shipped up here. Decided we were gonna go down and pick it up, and uh, we got down there. And the thing had a dead miss on one cylinder. There was no way to drive it home. And so we made the trip back up in the same weekend, kind of uh, <laughs> disgruntled at that point. But I did find a shipping company and uh, shipped it up to the house here and rolled the thing up in the driveway and went to work on it and got the thing running. It was a, a I tell you, it was a learning experience. I'd never worked on a diesel engine before, but I'd worked on, you know, I've worked on all kinds of cars, motorcycles, anything else that runs. So I, I did know my way around an engine. 
but uh, it was it was a lot of fun learning something that was completely you know out of your out of your zone. And uh, it was kind of like a stupid little thing though in the end, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Turns out what was wrong was I guess some knucklehead had been working on the engine and they had not connected the push rods to the rocker arms. So what happened was pistons going up and down, injectors firing fuel in on top of the piston. No intake and no exhaust gas coming in or out. So it was, it's a, it's a miracle the thing even ran without hydrolocking that one cylinder. But uh, went through and adjusted the valves on it and set the injectors, hit the ignition. She fired right up and runs great. It almost sounds like somebody rebuilt the motor and did one of the freaking uh, one of the cylinders wrong. Yeah. Like, so the valves for the valves and the rods for one of the cylinders wrong. So it's almost like you got a completely rebuilt motor. Uh, in this vehicle for for three thousand dollars for the truck because some numbskull did it wrong and nobody down there wanted to figure it out and they just scrapped it. Yeah, yeah, I'd imagine that's what it was. Um, that's if I had to guess, I would guess it was uh, some knucklehead in there not not doing it right and it happens. all the better for me. <laughs> it happens. We had a uh, a ten ton truck tractor come in one time, so it's just like another double it again. Um, and the transmission was shot in it, and this was uh, a manual, but th- this was not p- put clutches on. This was get rid of the transmission. And uh, in fact, it had dual clutches. It was kind of a neat way this thing was set up. And the, the 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 transmission stem that goes into the housing, when we got it all lined up and tried to push it in there and bolt it in, we had like a quarter to a half inch gap. And we just couldn't pull like it was everything was lined up perfect, clutches are in and everything, and it just wouldn't go the rest of the way in. And we finally gave up, you know, stopped pushing a string, pulled it out, and the tooling in the uh in the transmission uh rod didn't go all the way back far enough. So the key teeth the key teeth in it that allow it to engage in the flywheel yeah. were not machined all the way back. Um so I you know, military quality control sometimes they miss pretty obvious things. Yeah. <laughs> but they do have really tough vehicles, so now you have one. And, uh, you know, so obviously you have something that's kind of a special use vehicle now, but your original plan was more like a daily driver? Yeah, yeah. Whenever I uh, first got a vehicle, I, you know, I was driving an old Explorer around that was on its last leg and just kind of was looking around for something. And and uh, my first thought was, well, what kind of vehicle should I get that, gets me everything that I can possibly get in a vehicle as far as, you know, having something that's going to get me out of a bad situation, whether it's, you know, you know, there's a flood coming. I don't know. We, we live not too far from the New Madrid fault. Who says there's not going to be an earthquake that redirects the Mississippi river through my backyard. I don't know what's going to happen, but anyway, um, you know, I went and looked and, one thing that I looked for was something that I could get parts for. You know, I looked for something that uh, I really think a, a GPS is a valuable tool. It's not the only tool you should have. Obviously, you should have a map, the one on paper and the one in your head. Uh, traction control, you know, th- I think that's really an important thing. Like, if you have to get from point A to point B, getting stuck is bad. Traction control could help you out with that. And... uh you know, ground clearance I thought was really important. So uh, I I I really settled on one of the uh, you know extended cab quad cab four wheel drive pickup trucks. I really think that's a, a great vehicle for anybody that's you know 
concerned about being able to go from point A to point B. And I know, I know, Jack, that's what you have, something yep. like that as well. So well, we've got two of them. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> gas, gas Dodge uh, half ton, and then a uh, a one ton three fifty um, Ford uh, Super Duty. And yeah, I mean that's that's part of why I made those choices, especially the diesel. I mean. That truck, if it if it won't go there, I saw I, I kind of uh, I'm on par with Tim Glantz. Like, well, if it can't, if my truck can't go there, maybe maybe I shouldn't be going there. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good point. And you know, a lot of people go back and forth on. You hear a lot of talk about, oh, I need to get an older vehicle, that's that's you know something I can work on for a bug out vehicle. And you know, to me, those two ideas just don't mesh together very well. If you are in a hurry to get from point A to point B, do you really want to stop and work on it? I mean, yeah, you want reliability in that that instance. Yeah, I think it's longevity that people see because, like, okay, like the old CUCVs, you could probably go out and and if you had like a kind of a retreat set up, you could probably buy a motor and a transmission for one of them, or take the ones that come in it, yank them out, and put a rebuilt set in there. Uh, put maybe another thousand dollars in parts and three hundred dollars in tools, and you could literally fix anything that would break at least once on that vehicle, and do that for all under ten grand. So, from a longevity standpoint, fine, but they're not real fast either. <laughs> yeah, right. And basically, you're sitting there with a pickup truck that's slow. Exactly. And you know, we kind of talked about that when when I was there at your place. Uh, you were kind of kicking around the idea of a Jeep. And I think that's really the difference is a lot of people don't make the differentiation between a retreat vehicle and a bug out vehicle. Correct. And that's a retreat true. vehicle, you know, is something, you know, the Jeep, I think, uh, top on my list. Great yeah. to run around there where you live, you know, in the hills. And I mean, just a great match. But if you had to head out for, you know, Colorado in that Jeep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, shoot me now. <laughs> yeah, especially since we're thinking of one of those old little Willys Jeeps or something like that. And, you know, it really, it's not a good thing to be on the highway with one of those. But for where, like you're saying, for a retrieve vehicle where I live, I could cover hundreds of miles and never see pavement from where I live. And that that is what that vehicle's for. So a lot of this stuff is based on, well, what do you plan to do with it? Uh, so I could even see a person in your situation with your big old five-ton uh, and then maybe even if you had the means at some point with a smaller vehicle stashed out at the bug out location or possibly even using that five ton to, to car caddy tow something smaller to get around with once you're out there. Yep. Well, my plan is to have the pickup on the back of the 820 on a trailer. There you go. <laughs> there you go. I may be driving a train, but I'll be. <laughs> <laughs> but nobody will get in your way. No, uh, I'll have the the mass to push anything out of the way that's in front of me. And so you either have to go big or go around it, right? Yeah. I can tell you for a fact, when you're using a wrecker helmet to tow a tanker helmet and you put a turn signal on, people let you over. <laughs> <laughs> and those who don't know what a helmet is, I'll, I'll put a link to a picture of one in today's show notes. It'll, uh, uh, yeah, the it, helmet is another story altogether. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you were getting helmet tires when you were on that trip, you would have had to take a different vehicle. Yep. <laughs> So, um, how did you kind of get into the whole military vehicle thing? Where did you start learning about them and learn about the auction process and, you know, what to look for? Well, it, actually, as it turns out, um, I have a friend that I knew from high school that lives down the road from me, and um, he has a couple of military trucks, and 
And I, I didn't know he lived down the road from me, and we're, he's driving back and forth in front of my house while I'm mowing the grass, and I keep seeing these military trucks going by, and I'm like, oh, I've always wanted a deuce. You know, I'm, I'd really love to have one. And uh, found out, you know, where he lived, and actually I knew him, went over there and started talking to him, and he said, hey, go on to uh, the government liquidation website and uh, see what's for auction, see if you can buy something. And, you know, one thing led to another, and um, there's a really good message board on, on the Internet. It's called Steel Soldiers, steelsoldiers.com, and uh, great community for people. You know, they'll help. There's stuff for sale on there. You get one that's broke. In my case, there's some great people on there that helped me out getting it fixed. And, uh, yeah, it was it was uh, just it felt like home, you know. I, I love trucks. <laughs> I've played with trucks since I was a little kid. Now I'm a big kid, and I play with bigger trucks. But the lesson you learned was if you bid on something, even if you think it's low, you might just find out you bought it. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> be, be prepared to own it if you put money toward the auction. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, it could be a, a good problem to have. I think in your situation it was, and it it wasn't like you'd bid twelve grand on it or something like that, and it turned out the mechanical problem was minor. Right, right. And you know, I I'm a self-proclaimed gearhead. I'm willing to swap a motor if I have to. I mean, that's it's just one of those things that I'm willing to do. Not everybody would look at that truck and be like, "Oh yeah, no problem." I have to swap a motor. I have to swap a motor. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, you know, it's a big motor too. It can be an expensive motor, and that's. That's actually why I'm really impressed about the the truck you bought. If you went out to get that motor, I think you'd pay as much for the motor as you did the truck. Oh yeah, at least easy. I'm sure easy. I mean, obviously new. I'm saying even out if you just could find the motor used or something. Oh yeah, and then you know the logistics of just hauling something that big is is be a challenge as well. So what's this community that you're you're part of? Like now, I know Steel Soldiers. Tim's mentioned them as all, but I mean just people in general that you talk to that have these vehicles. You know, it's all kinds of people, not necessarily ex-military, but, um, you know, it's just different different folks that are into uh, the big trucks like that. Um, a lot of people, I know a couple of people use them for advertising their business, um, which is a great attention getter. You know, you tag the side of this giant military truck with the name of your business on it. Everybody that sees it's going to remember your company. But uh, yeah, Steel Soldiers is the main. It's really the one of the main websites on the internet that that deals with all these, you know, re- restoring and modifying these old old military vehicles. And are there any particular models? I mean, obviously you like the one you have, or you wouldn't have bid on it. But is there anything else that's kind of caught your eye that you really like that's that's kind of available right now on the market? Um, well, the market is. In, in my opinion, I, I think that the government is, is really getting, you know, they've gone to the FMTVs for their uh, cargo vehicles of choice, and they're really liquidating all their their uh, two-and-a-half-ton trucks. And probably if I had it to do over, I'd get a two-and-a-half-ton instead of the five-ton. Um, I'm really partial to the M109s, and... You can get those in two different versions. There's an M109A3, which is an old multifueler with a manual transmission, or you can get the M109A4, which has uh, a newer engine. It's not a multifuel, but it's a newer designed engine and a ma- an automatic transmission. And, you know, 
anybody could get in and drive it. Your grandmother or anybody. And so Yeah, I I'd say the deuce and a half. They're a big truck, but with an automatic, if you can drive a big pickup, you you might have to pay a little more attention, but you're not gonna have trouble moving one around at all. Right. Yeah, those are I mean the the M as far as uh something with a cargo back on it is uh an M one oh nine or the M eight twenty are my two favorites. You know, everybody dreams about owning a Hemet at some point, but <laughs> You know, I worked on them for years, and I don't enjoy. I don't dream about owning one at all. I mean, God, the uh, the maintenance cost of those vehicles alone, the um, the turbocharger on it's about as big as a, as a grizzly bear's head to begin with. They're, <laughs> they're a lot of work. They really are. And I mean, just changing it, you need a forklift to change the tires on those things. But I guess the good side is you don't change them very often. Yeah. That's one of those pipe dreams we all have, you know. Yeah, I did enjoy driving them. I'll tell you that they're uh, they're you pretty much feel like you're driving a tank uh, <laughs> when you're driving a Hemet, and it's a lot of horsepower behind there. Um, so, I guess I mean you, the main main resource that you'd recommend for learning more about them is uh, is uh, is Steel Soldiers. Sure, sure. SteelSoldiers.com. I mean, they have a really organized website. Uh, you can look at different the forms split up into different types of trucks so you can kind of go in there and see what people's doing uh quite a few build threads on there where people are building uh rvs out of these things and uh and doing different things a lot a lot of people will take their their uh deuce which is a six by six if you're not familiar with them they'll uh take one axle off the back and put a smaller bed on or cut down the bed that's on there and make what's basically a pickup, giant overgrown pickup truck out of the thing. Those actually look really cool when they do that, honestly. They're, I think some people might look at one if you painted a certain way and wouldn't even know what it was unless they you know, were familiar with them in the first place. Yeah, sure. They I, you know, make you think of like an old uh, 40s or 50s pickup truck, kind of the way they look, except it's overgrown a little bit. And Yeah, if you painted one that a color other than OD green, you would uh, probably blend in quite well with just every other giant F-350 that's out on the road. Do you ever think about that if there's like a real major event and you've got this big old giant military truck cruising down the highway? I mean, maybe from both a, a positive and a negative, like from a positive, maybe local authorities who just got some military truck and you know, it's not our business what's going on, whereas, on the other hand, maybe people might look at it and go, well, they have stuff. Let's go see what they have. I, that has been a concern of mine, yeah. I, I've thought about that. And uh, generally, people stay away from you in that truck. I, I You know, if, <laughs> if there's somebody out going to try to steal a sandwich from somebody driving down the road, they're going to pick somebody that's not in something that weighs 35,000 pounds plus, you know. Correct. Anyway, Correct. that's my hope. <laughs> so long term, do you plan on making it look military? Is it going to you know, stick with the camo paint job? Or are you going to maybe sieve it up a little bit? Or you know, what are your long-term plans for it? Um, the outside, I'd like to remain military looking. Um, yep. The inside, I'm probably looking doing a little bit of creature comfort on there. Right now, I'm looking to put an iPad mount on the dash. So I have GPS and radio, you know, ability to listen to some podcasts maybe in the truck while I'm driving. Well, that'd and, be cool. And, uh, you know, obviously the back I'd really like to turn into full-blown RV. 
And uh, there's a road, you know, that goes across northern Canada. And kind of on my bucket list is to drive that road across Canada. You you have to have a big RV type vehicle or be able to camp out while you're up there. Something large and uh, definitely off-road capable. Maybe one of these days after I retire, I'll take it up there and drive all the way across Canada. That'd be kind of cool. Um, when you do think about bugging out, and I know you kind of wanted to RV it up a little bit uh, on the inside, but what are some other thoughts you have as far as just, I mean, for anybody uh, having their vehicle equipped and ready to bug out, obviously you'd want your bug out bags, but the vehicle gives you greater capacity. So what are some other things maybe you've thought about making sure is available uh, if you got to jump and go? Well, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, I have what I call a car bag that goes with me in any car that has, you know, what I the basically trifecta of being able to fix anything. Bailing wire, zip ties, duct tape, that kind of stuff. Uh, like a trash bag, you know, to lie on the ground if it's a little wet or muddy. If you've got to change a tire, at least you don't have to get down in the mud. Some uh, paper towels. Uh, ratchet straps, you know, ba- your basic tools, um, a can of fix-a-flat. And for like five bucks, you can go buy a plug kit to plug a tire. So if you've got a screw through your tire, you can plug the thing. It might not be the best fix in the world, but A, it'll get you, you know, off the side of the road and at least down the road far enough to fix it. So, you know, the car bag's a really good thing. Um, a GPS is, I mean, no-brainer. Why Why not have one? And uh, CB radio, I think, is is really good. You know, a lot of guys lean toward ham, which I, I'm not, I don't have a ham license, but, you know, maybe that's on the table one of these days. But, you know, the CB is pretty much the radio to have if you're wanting to talk to somebody on the road. And, um, you know, second spare tire, a few extra fluids maybe, um, chargers for your cell phone. There's quite a few things you can really do, and, you know, a lot of that you have laying around your house. Throw it in a bag, get it in your vehicle, and uh, and then, you know, you won't, won't have to worry about that stuff when you leave your house. Yeah, you know, you just brought something up really interesting with CBs. Every time I talk to a ham, they kind of poo-poo the CB, you know. It's just a bunch of truckers, and, and but it is a valid means of communication, and one thing I've noticed with CB is... Just about anywhere you are, if you turn one on on a road, there's somebody ahead of you with one and there's somebody behind you with one, and they can tell you what's going on around you. Exactly. I mean, um, you know, when I when I took the trip down to Texas, came by your house, I had the CB with me, and um, I was really paying attention to that, and I was thinking about it. And you really hear information coming toward you from the trucks coming toward you, and then behind you as well, you know, as far as you'll hear something that you'll see a wreck and then you'll see, you know, well, they've closed the road off behind us, you know? So you, you really have like this bubble of the CB coverage around your vehicle that's following you along and everybody that passes through that bubble, uh, you know, can potentially give you some information that you need. And I'm, you know, there were some bad storms up North whenever I was driving through Arkansas and I actually knew that the road was clear all the way up into Illinois because, you know, the truckers were saying, oh, we're, you know, we just got out of the the storms an hour ago or two hours ago, something sure. like that. 
Yeah, I mean, you're actually. I've never. I'm, you know, I keep getting t- people telling me I needed to show do a show on ham, uh, but nobody that's a ham ever wants to come on the show and and actually be the interviewee. It seems like on ham radio. Uh, maybe I need to do a show on CB radio because I think it may be underappreciated by the prepper community in many ways. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like um, a CB is a flathead screwdriver and a ham radio is a, a Phillips screwdriver. You know, they're two things and they don't really, they're similar, but they don't really fit the same uh, need. So that's kind of the way I look at it. But on the upside for CB is you can buy one, put it on your truck, stick an antenna on it, push the button, start talking to people today, and no one will come tell you you're not allowed to do that. Exactly. And you can get a decent CB set up for like a hundred bucks. Yep, absolutely. I know. I know. I got. Uh, I talked to a couple of friends about ham radios, and they made some radio suggestions to me, and I think they were all over five hundred dollars. Now, I know they have some cheaper ones than that. Yeah, but. there's some cheap stuff. I have a little Puxing that's like 75 bucks. It doesn't have a, it. It won't do what a lot of the other setups will. But if you're anywhere near a repeater, you you can use it pretty well. Um, but the the better gear is going to be, you know, multiple hundreds, and you can get like you said a damn good CB that'll do anything any other CB will do for a hundred hundred fifty dollars. Sure. And they run on 12 volts, so you can if you got a battery, you've got power, you've got a CB that'll work. Exactly. Um, you know, that's a CB and one of those maps from Walmart that you can buy that has all the Walmart stores marked on it, and they're yeah. severely discounted. I mean, they're not nearly as much as if you go buy a regular big road atlas. I yeah. think if you have those two things in your car, I wouldn't leave the house without them. We'll just say that. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. And, you know, it also makes me wonder if maybe preppers need to work a little bit more on putting together some, you know, let's call it CB networks. I mean, they're not really the way that a, a ham would set the same thing up. But if you have people in your area that have common locations they'd be headed to, uh, and they just by knowing each other, it, it's kind of like an Internet chat room. You see somebody's handle, you know who they are, you know you can take them for their word. And, and I know this is a military vehicle show, but you almost have me wondering if there's a hole here that, that that we could occupy real quick. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Very very cool. I like when stuff like that comes up. Um, on the on the subject, we we were talking about twelve volts. So this truck you bought, I'm figuring four batteries, two series, two parallel, twenty four volts. Is that what it was when you got it? Yep. Yep. That's what it is today. Too. Left it that so, way. Um, really, a need for. Uh, a way to convert the 24 down to 12 volts for, you know, running the iPhones and iPads and smartphones that everybody has. Uh, something I'll be adding to the truck in the next few weeks, I hope. What, what are your plans for doing that instead of, because I, I think you're on the right track. In, instead of let's let's turn it into a 12-volt truck, let's, let's knock the voltage down. Is there any off-the-shelf type product that does that? Oh, that sure. Guys yeah. in your, your realm use? Yeah, you can get uh, get something like that off of eBay. Um, pretty much any uh, electronics place online will have something like that. Just you know, look up a uh, twelve to twenty or twenty four to twelve volt converter, okay. and and any you know they're not very expensive. And even a lot of these, uh, I've seen, and I don't know if they work or not, but I've seen a lot of uh, cigarette lighter things that take uh, a twelve volt to twenty four volt range. And convert it into like a regular USB plug, which a lot of phones now have that to charge on. 
So they're like self-ranging and that's yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Actually, it shouldn't be that hard to make a lot of products do that if they wanted to, thinking about it. Absolutely. <laughs> so um, so you're looking to kind of put some technology into GPS, uh, iPhone dock, uh, anything else? Uh, probably some extra lights. Um, that's one thing that I would add to any vehicle that you think that you're may, you may have to you know, use as a bug out vehicle for whatever reason. And, you know, I don't, I don't think that the world's going to end and you're going to have to leave necessarily, but, you know, fire, uh, let's say there's, you have a forest fire in your area, which, you know, something a lot of people have to worry about, um, headlights, you're driving at night, it's foggy. You might need some better headlights in your vehicle. And that's one thing that I've upgraded on the military truck and all of my other vehicles as well. So, uh, that, that's definitely an upgrade is uh, lighting. So when you say you've upgraded it, you mean you've replaced the lamps themselves with better quality lamps? Correct. Correct. Okay. But you haven't added like a fog light bar or anything like that? Well, the pickup truck has a big light, LED light bar yeah. on it. But I'm talking about the, the mill vehicle. Yeah, the military truck doesn't have anything like that yet. I, I am trying starting to think that after trying to back up into the driveway at night with that thing, that I need some big backup lights of some sort. You know, it almost cries out. They have these kits now that are like 500 bucks or less that you can put a camera on the back and have a little video screen. And with the big box ones especially, you can't see over the, the bed. It almost cries out to put one of them on it. Yeah, you know, we went to uh, down to the RV store. And I'm looking at all the stuff they have for RVs on there, and I'm just like, wow, I need all of this, I think. So I, I <laughs> quick, quickly left the store before I went broke. <laughs> wow. You know what I saw recently? I can't think of is somebody, something buggy or something like that makes these four-wheelers, and they're pretty cool. So I'm at a shot show. They had one that was all blacked out, and uh, they had just basically an infrared camera on the front of it with a little TV screen in front of you. And you could drive it in the dark using that screen. You wouldn't want to, you know, full out all tilt on it on speed wise, but you could you could move around with it. Uh, and that seems like an interesting idea as well. Um, in fact, because most of the military vehicles have the uh, the the very low uh, low power red light off the front of them that you can turn the lights down to for using NVGs. Mm-hmm. And that seems like it would marry. You know, back when I was in, we, there was no nobody had access to equipment like that. But today, that's kind of off the shelf stuff. So that's another thing I guess you could do. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, a lot of them have the uh, the um, the tail lights in the back where they're absolutely. I can't remember the name of it, but they're the lights invisible unless you're looking through night vision goggles. Correct. Infrared. Correct. Yeah, infrared. They have that on the front of some of them too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was uh, one night I was on guard duty with a guy. Actually, I was a prior service Marine that decided to come back in, came in the Army. He had been like an infantryman in the Marine Corps. And he came back as a helicopter mechanic, and I guess that Marine was still in his head. And uh, we're out on guard duty, and we got a call that said that there was somebody trying to break into one of the ammo uh, ammo bunkers. And we had one set of NVGs, and, of course, as the driver, he had them. So he throws them on, turns the infrared lights on, kills the headlights, and punches it. <laughs> to this day, I've never been so scared in my life. Completely pitch out black in the jungle, winding road, you know, 50 miles an hour, not able to see anything. And, uh, but it can be done. I don't want to do it, but it can be done. Uh, what was cool about this four-wheeler, you would have dug this. This I can't remember who makes these now, again, but they are an electric gas, not really hybrid, more like dual, dual purpose. Mm-hmm. So you can kill the gas motor and run on electric. 
So if you were using this thing for security, you could kill the gas side, run on electric, turn that infrared camera on, and be moving around in the dark completely quiet. Uh, that was that was pretty neat. I just cannot remember who makes the daggone thing now. Uh, that's one of those things we all need two of, you know it? Yeah. My wife wanted one. I should have sprung into action on that. She's like, I want one. I'm like, really? You know? <laughs> Don't leave that window open too long, Jack. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if you had it to do over again, you might buy a different vehicle, but you'd still you still do this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, besides the potential that I'd ever need it for an emergency someday, you know, it's just a lot of fun working on it, um, getting outside, working with your hands, uh, learning something new, um, meeting some people, you know, that's involved with the restoring the military trucks. All worth it. If I never, ever need it, I don't care. Like, if it's never used for an emergency and all I do is go camp in it and have fun, so be it. Do you think there is something here for preserving history? Because, I mean, there's some old military Willys Jeeps around now, but there's nowhere near what there could have been. Like, at one time, just like you can do this now for a song, you could have bought those things for a song. Um, there, there's a lot of stuff that, that kind of had its day, and it went. And now it's either expensive or gone. Do you kind of see it, like, as the opportunity to preserve a piece of history? Yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of military museums that have the military, you know, the museum-quality pieces restored and setting there. and But there's a lot of people never see them. I mean, there's a lot. These trucks, you get out, you drive them, you go have fun with them. And they're what I would call a driver vehicle. You know, you're not worried you're going to scratch it or... Somebody's going to ding it or something like that. But I think there's a sweet spot in between, you know, of having a, a you know, a, a junk vehicle that's just sitting there because it's it's old and having something restored to museum quality. You got something you can get out and show people. And it actually it kind of leads me to another story is uh, if you're familiar with uh, Ride for the Wall, which is a bunch of guys on motorcycles ride across the country to the Vietnam Memorial in, in D.C. And uh, I, I talked to a friend of mine that's that's doing that, and he said, hey, you know, we're stopping in the town I live in here, and uh, would you be interested in bringing the military truck out just for the heck of it so all the guys, you know, that were in the military can see it? I'm like, well, sure, why not? And it uh, turns out I've got, like, four other trucks, I think, that we're bringing out. We're just going to drive up and say hi to everybody. And, and I think that's probably more important than having those, those super quality museum pieces that never see the light of day. Well, let me tell you something about those super quality uh, museum pieces. They're not realistic. That's the way that vehicle looked the day it was delivered. It's not even the way that vehicle looked in three weeks if it was in a unit where it was actually used. And the soldier that actually served or the Marine that actually served or the airman that actually served – that used those vehicles wouldn't recognize it as what he served and what he used with because they were designed to be beaten. They were you know, There's a lot of emphasis on maintenance there, but they're designed to be used in harsh, heavy environments. They're they're always dirty. There's always something. You know, as a mechanic, you were never you're never bored. There was always something to fix, and and that's the way they're actually designed to be used. And, and if you let it, like I was telling my son recently, we're thinking about giving him Marjetta and letting him keep his little Pontiac. And I told him, if we do that, you'll have two vehicles. You'll have that redundancy. But, like, once a week you need to drive the Pontiac. Vehicles aren't designed to sit still. They're not meant to sit still. They they actually degrade over time if they're not used at all. They're designed to be used. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's that's a really good point that they wouldn't recognize it if it was clean. No, they wouldn't. And you know, they uh, might recognize it was hosed off, right? But not really clean, you know. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I think that's probably the way that you know the uh, most of the guys that are that own these things have them. They're 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 used. They drive them. They go out and drive around in the mud with them. They take them camping, and uh, I, I I just like that a lot better. You know, I want to see something used. I don't want to see something sitting on a pedestal somewhere. Now, the other thing I've always thought is a real advantage for military vehicles is I can go out and buy a repair manual, a parts manual for any vehicle under the sun. Mm-hmm. But nothing as extensive as the parts manual, a Dash 20, a Dash 30 manual I can get for military vehicles. I mean, if it breaks and you can replace it, everything is easy to understand. And I think the military has done a better job of their technical manuals than any manufacturer has done uh, in the history of the world uh, compared to what the military has done. Yeah, that's that's one good thing about these trucks. You talk about dead simple. I mean, these things were designed to be fixed, um, you know, in the worst conditions with the least amount of parts, you know, by potentially somebody that, that walked in and handed a manual. I mean, I don't know. You could probably explain this a little better than I could, but how much training did you get before they handed your wrench? Um, I would it was about a four month school. Um, oh, but but. When I had been doing it for two years, and when I knew every stinking nut and bolt that had to be touched to do a specific job on a specific vehicle, if I would have been out there working on that vehicle without the manual open on the hood or the fender of that vehicle, my motor sergeant would have had the vein in his head pop and snapped a gasket. <laughs> right? You always had the manual with you, even if you knew what you were doing. You all, it was like it was expected. It was. Just, it was as much as uh, it was a part of your job as wearing your uniform uh, was. And what I can say about the, the big thing about the manuals is not just, okay, I need to replace the starter motor on a 1009. Fine. Um, and, yes, it will tell me exactly how to do that. But is that what I need to do? So with these manuals, you know, your problem is X. And, and the, the troubleshooting chain is so well broken down. Does this work? Yes. Then go here. Does that work? Yes. Then go there. Does this work? No. Okay. Then go here. Does this work? No. Okay. This is your problem. And you know, son of a gun, if it, you know, not 99 times out of 100, that's true. We even had like some of the newer ones had these computers you could plug in and do diagnostics and all. And I mean, there, you don't have time to do that as, as a guy off the street. Usually, you need to be able to mechanically fix things and. Man, that's how this stuff was designed to be done. I don't know about the new vehicles, right? I know about the stuff you're talking about. I don't know what these guys are are dealing with today, how much more technology is built into them. But what I can say is from like the 90s back, early 90s back, uh, if you couldn't work on those, you pretty much couldn't work on anything. Yep, yeah. And those manuals, like you said, the troubleshooting, the diagrams, and, I mean, they're just, they're really good. I mean, they're if familiar with the repair manual, they get it. AutoZone for a regular car. These things are way better than oh, those. Oh, way better. And they're free. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, and you, you asked an interesting question there that really, now that I think about it, you say, like, how much training did you get before they put a wrench in your hand? And if you don't count the wrenches in the school, it was about a four-month school. But a lot of things in the military that are considered operator-level maintenance would be things that a civilian would generally take their vehicle to someone else to do for them. And the operator basically gets like a day of how to drive the vehicle and a book. And he's responsible for that operator level maintenance. 
So there is that component, and it's not it's not changing oil, right? And it's not stuff like that. But a lot of things that a person would not do for themselves, a, a soldier is expected to do for themselves. Yeah. Even if they're a even if they're a TAMS clerk or you know whatever, if they're assigned a vehicle, they're responsible for that vehicle's operator level maintenance. They call it. Yeah, that's probably a good thing that everyone should probably do. Is, oh, absolutely. Is get at least familiar enough with your vehicle that you can look at it and figure out what's broke on it. Now, there are some special tools you might need for certain things, like um, I guess if you buy I, – see, I've never bought one, so I don't know if they come with all their, their stuff, but like uh, your typical jack is not going to be a good idea to jack up uh, your, your, your five-ton truck with because of the weight issue. So you do need to make sure that you have the right tools for the job, so to speak, or your, your typical wrench set is not going to even have anything big enough to get onto the lug nuts of uh, something like that. So you do have to kind of make a, some, some, some investment in tools. Absolutely. Um, Sears loves me now. <laughs> I, I've invested heavily in new tools. Which is, you know, not necessarily a bad thing, but uh, have had to spend some money on on new tools. But uh, and a big cheater pipe, I've learned, is is a very good thing to have. <laughs> Just hope you never have to to replace the torque bars. Um, <laughs> that's caused more knee injuries than anything else. The torque bars, folks, you have the two axles, and there's these bars that maintain the distance between the axles and a lot are part of the suspension and. And getting them out requires a, a, basically a rock bar and a sledgehammer. And uh, getting them back in is actually more likely to end up with somebody getting hit with a sledgehammer than, than getting them out. Getting them out is actually pretty easy. Getting them back in is – I hope yours are good, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just tell you. They look, look good. I've been under there and eyeballed everything. They look, look, look in good shape, yeah. fortunately for me. Yeah, and as long as you don't drive it the way I saw a video of you driving your Raptor, they'll stay that way for a long time. Yeah, that this this truck won't go anywhere near that fast. So we have to put a video up for you guys today of uh, Wade driving his Raptor in the desert. It was uh, pretty intense. Yeah, we were we were out in the desert. Uh, we went over 100 miles an hour in the sand and had a lot of fun doing that. And it was cool, but you did do some damage, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, bent the frame a little bit on the truck, but it was. <laughs> It was kind of one of the crumple zones from Ford, you know, and, and when you apply enough stress to it, it does bend, I found. Yeah, yeah. Nothing a welder and a bunch of steel won't fix, though. So, hey, one thing I noticed is you, you had a couple uh, jerry cans in the back of that truck, and you had them coated with the same stuff you coat like a bed of the truck with? Oh, yeah. Uh did Linex on the jerry cans. And I tell you what, those things are, I think they're now indestructible. Hmm. What did you say you sprayed on them? It's Linex. It's the same thing. Uh, the spray and like uh, Rhino Liner or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same stuff. Those are getting really hard to find. That's something I've noticed. I went to just recently pick up like a half a dozen more of them, and I went over to Old Grouch's because I know Tim usually sells them, and he was out. Yeah, those they are getting hard to find. The original ones. There's a company named Blitz, B L I T Z, and I think that they make a reproduction version of it, and that's actually what mine are. They're brand new cans um, the only problem with it is you they when they sell it to you they give you the california regulated non-vented oh. nozzle thing yes <laughs> so then you have to go on ebay and buy the old version of it and then it's okay again but it'll fit these aftermarket cans yeah yeah screw oh, right in place enough. yep i'll have to look those up and put them in the show notes for this well hey man this was cool uh hopefully you'll get through my neck of the woods again sometime we'll have you buy again 
Yeah, yeah, I'd love to do it, and uh, who knows, maybe I'll be in a big green truck when I come by the next time. That'd be cool. I think we'd have some fun with it. Hey, get it all, get it all macked out. We'll go camping. Sure. <laughs> you got any uh, any final thoughts for folks that are thinking, you know, maybe this is something they want to do, but they're not sure? Well, you know, if you have room for it, one, they're big, and um, if you, you're kind of a gearhead and you and you like to work on things yourself, you know, it, it may be a good answer. You know, it's it's just. What? How does it fit? Does it fit you? Maybe, maybe not. You know, if you live in an apartment in New York City, mm, probably not for you. <laughs> sure, sure. Oh, no, it's definitely not for you. <laughs> you could buy another apartment for the cost of parking the damn thing there. Um, but, yeah, if you're out in the sticks or if you got just kind of a big – you real quick before I let you go, what would your neighbors think when you first uh, had it, especially when it didn't run they just shoved it into your driveway? <laughs> I got a lot of strange looks and uh, – what I tell everybody is, it, you know, it's, it's kind of parked over to the side of the house toward the front and kind of a little turnaround space. And I tell everybody it keeps the riffraff out of the yard because nobody wants to go walk around in the yard with the guy, the crazy guy with the military truck. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Now all you need now is a, uh, a, a 50 cal machine gun mount on the roof. Uh, well, is yours a hard top roof? Hard top, yes, it is. Oh, uh, yeah, you're not doing that then. We used to have the uh, canvas tops and we'd put the big uh, circular 50 cal mounts on them. And you'd pull, peel the canvas back and, and throw the 50 cal, the, the, the Modus up there. And, and that makes a statement. A five ton truck with a Modus on the, on the roof is, uh, is a, is a hell of a statement to make. Yeah, that would be, uh, that would definitely keep the riffraff out of the yard there, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. I feel like that guy, Clint Eastwood, get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I haven't seen that yet. People keep telling me I need to see that movie. What is that, uh, oh, I can't remember the name of it now. The one where he's like in like kind of a ghetto area. Gran Torino. That's it, Gran Torino. People keep telling me I need to see that. I actually have it on the DVR, now I'm going to have to watch it. Yeah. Any, anyway, Wade, man, I appreciate you being on the show today and, and sharing what you're doing with folks. And uh, we'll put a link up to your blog and to your, uh, your escapades in the desert in your raptor today and, and, and what, what, whatever else. And, uh, hey, man, you know, come, come around the blog afterwards. I'm sure people will have questions for you. And uh, if you answer them, I think they'd appreciate that. Yep. I'm always on the, the forum. So post in the transportation section. I keep a pretty close eye on that and, um, and post a lot on there. So anybody has questions, wants to talk about military trucks, just throw a post up there or on the, on the, uh, for, uh, the blog there. And uh, I'll, get, I'll be in touch. Well, wait again. Thanks for being on the show today, man. Sure. Thanks a lot, Jack. All right, folks. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico today, along with Wade Bowling, helping you figure out how to live that better life. Times get tough, or even if they don't. Seeing our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. Like there's nothing I can do It's the price we pay I guess when we Follow all the rules There's a better way To do this Let me show you A better way